when the 2021 season ended, uh, Mark Shapiro talked about how proud he was of the Toronto Blue Jays and how they were able to keep body and soul together in that sort of COVID odyssey that, that they were on. And uh, But he also made clear that his expectations, as indeed his expectations are every season, was that the team would make the playoffs. The team fell a win shy of the playoffs last year, and Mark Shapiro was pretty clear that he did not expect to see this team fall a game shy this year mm-hmm. as well. And, of course, the offseason moves that the Jays made, uh, in, in the minds of many, left them favorably positioned uh, as a potential World Series team. So as we sit here on August 31st, Labor Day is... Wow, it's 31st already. I know. Labor Day is just around the corner. Uh, it's great to welcome back to the show Mark Shapiro, mm-hmm. president of the Toronto Blue Jays. And, uh, Mark, we trust that you're doing well. And, and I'll just ask you the first question. You set pretty lofty expectations for this team at the end of last year. Are you confident that this team is on the road to reaching those expectations with a month and a bit left? Well, I mean, we're, I think if you had told me we'd be 12 games above 500 and three games ahead for a playoff spot, I'd probably say I'd like to be a little better than that, but we're, we're in a good spot. So uh, I think it's, you know, it, it's an awkward juncture. I wouldn't normally come on with you guys right now and mm-hmm. because it's not time to draw conclusions. It's time to kind of understand where we are. It's been a, you know, an up and down season, certainly, um, you know, one that's one of the more strange ones that I've, you know, observed. Uh, but at the same time, I know, you know, again, ha- being having the privilege to have a front row seat, you know, you couldn't have a group of guys that care more, work harder, or better teammates and have talent. So that's, you know, normally I would say you put all those things together and you've got a heck of a an opportunity to play in postseason. Now it's, for me, it's, finishing strong and and really ensuring that we're playing our best baseball heading into the playoffs because i think whether it's the braves last year or many other historical examples if we're playing our best baseball uh and we get in the playoffs anything can happen you called it one of the strangest years you've been part of what's been the strangest part of it i don't know just that we you know that all those conditions are there and yet it's been you know there's been some some challenging periods where we we haven't played well um you know again i think i don't want to write the you know write the last chapter sure. of the book and i think uh that's premature but probably probably just that uh, since uh having that front row seat since john snyder has taken over how, how have you seen that he's done and and how's it been going with him yeah, he's been great. Um, you know, he's got the incredible uh, advantage of having, you know, decades within this organization, relationships built, you know, from Toronto to Dunedin to New Hampshire to Buffalo to Vancouver, you know, uh, with our players, with our staff, you know, with, you know, with the people around the team. And so it's been comfortable for him. It's not a role, uh, you know, Kevin, you can ever really prepare for. You know, you can't simulate how it's going to feel when you get in it. So I think none of us know how a first-time manager is ever really going to react until, you know, he's in that seat. <clears throat> but uh, he's done a great job. He's, I think he's lifted, um, you know, so many positive things around our team, and he's, he's been great. He has the interim tag right now in front of his name. Uh, what does he have to do to remove that tag? And will it be, you know, 
who will ulti- ultimately, pardon me, make the final call? Will it be Ross? Will it be you? Will it be a combination of people? Well, A, I think that is a more appropriate answer for Ross to give, and B, you know, that I'm surprised seven years in you're still asking that question <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because we just don't make we won't don't make decisions that way. You know, it. Uh, you know, we've got an incredible group of people here. I think what we pride ourselves in doing is is framing a really strong process for making that decision with the input from the people that you know would would have information from different perspectives and different angles and in the end of course ross is the person that is in charge and accountable for overseeing our baseball operation on a day-to-day basis so if you if you if you need to have a mass culture you know view and you can't you you don't you know, choose to to think about a, a collaborative organization making a decision together. Uh, then I would that would answer that, Ross. Um, the uh, stepping back a little bit from the, the team on the field, I, I I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the renovations at the the ballpark that you've announced, and, and also kind of a broader picture. This is an organization, an organization and an ownership group that you know had a couple of years where it wasn't able to have to play in front of regular sized crowds at home. I had to play in Buffalo for a bit, and then when you did come back here, obviously there were restrictions due to COVID-19. Now we're at a point where many economists you know, are, are forecasting <clears throat> a potential recession. I'm just wondering, Mark, what you see as the greatest challenges going forward, let's say over the next 12 months, from that aspect, right? Off the field, renovations, ticket sales, and what could be a... a you know, a recession. Yeah, I mean, Jeff, I think I'd imagine you've heard me say it in the past, but I'm I'm a big believer in controlling the controllable. Um, you know, I'm not the, the Canadian economy, the North American economy is not something I'm focused on controlling. I'm focused on mm-hmm. doing everything you know possible to create the best experience for our fans. That starts with a sustainable championship team and and goes to what the renovations are going to bring, which is a you know a tremendous lift in fan experience. But um, you know, I. I truly believe that you know the there is limitless potential for this market if we're able to build a sustainable championship team and win year after year so um you know i'm not any economic conditions at any one moment in time uh, I, we are incredibly fortunate to have an owner who's not viewing it you know on a limited basis on one year right. uh, but thinking more about a continuum that's been evident from the way they supported us throughout the pandemic and it's been uh it'll be evident in the way they support us moving forward yeah i guess my 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 bigger concern there was just because this this team since 2015 2016 we've seen the impact of a winning team the organizations and everybody obviously it's on the it's it's moving in, in the forward direction and i was just wondering if they if you, you thought that perhaps with you know i know you can't control the economy but you may have to react to it in terms of ticket pricing and things of that nature or is that just uh you know, is that just kind of independent of, of, of those factors? No, I think demand impacts ticket pricing for sure. Okay. So, right. I mean, I guess, you know, that's a variable within, you know, what creates demand. Right. Mark, what's the chances of getting an all-star game in Toronto? Well, I hope good. You'd have to call Commissioner Manfred, but, uh, you know, we, we have put in a bid, um, and we, we hope to have a game here. I think, you know, a couple things. One, um, the renovation is going to make the building uh capable and a showcase that fits the city and the country and the team. And so uh, it's, you know, it's been 
30 years, I think, right? 30 years mm-hmm. since an All-Star game has been here. Um, think about how much this city has changed during that time. Um, that was, you know, actually my first season in Major League Baseball. Um, and, you know, while this, the team was at, an, at, was at a zenith, you know, the city has grown, you know, astronomically since then. Um, there's so much to show off. There's so much to showcase. I just – I can't imagine a better showcase for Major League Baseball than to, you know, have the Midsummer Classic, you know, in Toronto. Mark, I know you mentioned that Ross is the guy that you go to to judge players and how their seasons went, but you have been around a, a lot of young players, you know, in specific for, uh, with Bo and Vladdy. I just wonder how you would judge their season with all the information and what they're trying to go through, where they're trying to go. You know, is it underperforming? Is it uh, analytics? Is it too much information? How do you ju- judge young players this time of the season? Yeah, I mean, I... I try to wait for all the information to be in before I draw conclusions, you know, but I think the, how I feel about those young players, Kevin hasn't really changed as far as how talented they are, how athletic they are. I've, you know, um, but there is a maturation process. And I think I've said this to you guys before. I know, I I know, you know, you talk about the, the decades of baseball I've watched and development is not linear. It's not that steady line up, you know, and that's, the beauty of young players is you, you often have the upside of incredible performances, but you know, you also get some downside with that. But what you hope is that over time, um, you know, that they're having a very gradual line up, you know, if you connect the dots from those ups and downs. So, um, you know, whereas like if you have a 32 year old guy like George Springer, it's, mm-hmm. you know, you may not quite have the upside, you know, of a you know a season that shocks you, but you, you're pretty sure what you're going to get from him. And we're, when he's been on the field, that's exactly what we've gotten from him. You so, think, yeah, sorry. You think we're too hard on Bo playing shortstop every single day? Um, I mean, I think no one's as hard on Bo as Bo as as Bo is on himself. That's, sure. that's the answer I can give. You know, mm-hmm. and that's probably one of the things that he's going to have to figure out how to you know handle over a career is that he's so driven uh, to be an elite player. He's so driven to be great that he's never satisfied with his effort. He's never satisfied with the outcomes. Um, just to me, that athleticism. Um, his knowledge and love of the game um, and that drive are, are a good bet over time. But, uh, you know, I would say, you know, he probably wants to be better, but I'm not sure he'll ever not want to be better than what he is. Mark, I'm sure you know that every time a contract mm-hmm. such as Julio Rodriguez's is announced or any time the Braves do anything with one of their young guys, I mean, a lot of us in the media and also, frankly, a lot of fans – Look at Vladdy mm-hmm. and look at Bo and Vladdy in particular, and say, okay, when when did the Jays pony up and give and give these guys a multi-year contract? And uh, I'm wondering what Vladdy's after this year going to be three years away from free agency. Is there is there a point where the the ship kind of leaves the port when it comes to that, and you're almost it's almost more difficult to get a contract done with a guy, or is that you know is that just sort of uh, make-believe general manager, fantasy general manager talk? (laughs) Um, No, I mean, there is probably a point when you get closer to free agency that a player, like, wants to test free agency, but I still think even if it gets to that point, it's not a player that we can't sign if we're willing to to pay whatever the market price is. Um, You know, the... 
I think the one thing that might get left out of the public discourse is it's not it's not a unilateral decision. We're not making a decision to sign any individual player long term. It's a it's a uh, a relationship between a player and the organization, and it's ultimately about sharing risk. Uh, you look for the sweet spot where a player is comfortable giving up you know, some of the upside of reaching a free agent market and the club is comfortable guaranteeing, you know, through ups and downs, injuries, you know, everything else. And, and both both uh, sides are taking on some risk in doing that. Uh, and you try to find that that middle ground where both are comfortable with the risk that they're taking. A player, you know, like a Jose Ramirez, for example, you know, says, you know, what I've got in Cleveland is, you know, makes me happy. I don't need anything more. I know I might be able to get more, probably could get more. The Cleveland Indi- Cleveland Guardians say we're going to stretch to pay a player that much, even though it's hard for us to do in this market and with that payroll um, because it's a special player and we believe in him and we want him to represent you know everything we're about as an organization. Um, they both give up something because that certainty within a smaller payroll is tough for the, the Guardians to do. And you know, Jose gives up you know finding out what he could have gotten if he had gone to free agency. So that's an example from another team's player. I don't you know that's already done complete. You know, I don't have to you know guess, but I, I'm not going to you know talk about our guys individually except to tell you the same thing we've said all along. We've we've already had those conversations. We will continue at the appropriate time to have them again, and we'll keep looking for that sweet spot where we both feel good about the risk that we're taking on. Mark, it seems in the, in the past couple of weeks or so, Jordan Romano has, obviously the guy who went to the mm-hmm. All-Star game, but he has emerged even more as I think what we would, you know, so when we close our eyes, we view as being the prototypical closer, the guy who gets fired up, gets the crowd fired up, goes to the manager, let give me the ball again. I mean, I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not done here. How satisfying has it been for you to see how Jordan Romano has developed into this closer? Because this is kind of... This was an organizational. A lot of people had a hand in this, didn't they, in, in getting him to where he is now? Yeah, it's a it's a great story. I mean, I was even thinking last night. I mean, come on, when the when the lights go down and the red lights and the Canadian flag come up, and a kid from the GTA, you know, jogs in from the bullpen slowly, um, you know, to take the mound to close out games for us, and is doing it at an elite you know, all-star level, um, you know, what, how incredible is that? You know, how many, you know, how cool is that for the city and, you know, for the country to have the pride of one of the most important players on our team that was, you know, raised in this, you know, in this area and, and, and was, grew up being a fan of the team he's pitching for, which is kind of what every one of us and every kid dreams about. You know, we all dream about playing for the team that we uh, grew up watching. So, um, but I, I think what makes him special uh, beyond his his stuff, which is really, really good, but that's not what makes him special. It's mm-hmm. the ability to handle blown saves. I've always said, you know, what makes the the elite closer special is not saving games it's handling the blown save and you know he's had some tough moments this year some tough stretches this year and it's the guy uh the teammate the person the pitcher the competitor that comes out the next day uh with the same determination the same confidence you know, is not scarred by those moments, just accepts them and moves forward. So um, I think it's been a, a testament to his character, to his toughness, to his perseverance, um, and, and a special story for this for this fan base and this city. When, when you hear players are trying too hard, how does an organization help them through that? 
uh, a lot of conversations with whoever they trust and and respect most, but you can probably answer that better than me. How, what do you think? Well, I mean, this time of the year, I've never been through anything like this, right? And it's young guys trying to get a organization and a country through something like that. I just wonder, you know, is it Ross going down? Would it be you? Would it be the manager? I'm sure, you know, I know the coaches, they're doing their part. I just, I just wonder how that conversation would go. And cause you want guys to try, right, Mark, you don't want them not to try. Yeah. How's no, that that's fine why line there? You know, it's kind, of, it's kind of what I was saying earlier that I, that I think has been, been a little bit of a challenge at times for us and watching the team and, and for fans too is knowing that these guys you know i can tell you they care and they they're working hard um you know i think it's it's but it, there is a learning process and you know there, there still are things that we're going through for the first time and i guess this is contention at home with fans you know which we <laughs> yeah. which we haven't been through and um you know, there's no question that they want to do well. There's no question that, you know, people have heard the word urgency. No, they, these guys aren't blind. They wake up and know the situation. They know the schedule. They know the, you know, the number of games left. They feel urgency. They felt urgency from game one. You know, we didn't have to, we don't have to talk about those things. So um, the, the answer to your question directly is there's no one answer to that. It's, yeah. You know, individual people, and, and just like you're teaching kids in school, um, you know, you have to connect first, so you figure out the people that best connect. Um, you have to have a lot of conversations and ultimately just support them because they're so talented um, and they're so capable of being great that, you know, I, I, I start every watching every game thinking our best baseball starts tonight, and I really feel like we're capable of that and we're capable of running off a, a stretch of baseball deep into October. Mark, as always, we appreciate mm-hmm. your time. Thanks so much. Great stuff. Thank you, Mark. All right. Great stuff. You guys take care. Be well. If that is Mark Shapiro, president and CEO of the Toronto Blue Jays. Again, the Jays will wrap up their series with the Cubs tonight. 7.07 is the first pitch. Mitch White against to be determined still, at least as far as I can see on the website. So there you go. Um, as, you know, as Shai Davidi, I think, had reported a little earlier at the All-Star game, the Jays uh, do want to. They've made a bid. They've Put a, put a bit into the commissioner's office to host an all-star game. Generally, uh, one of the, the things, one of the, the parts of the decision in rewarding an all-star game is quite often it's done to reward a city that's built a new stadium, mm-hmm. or I should say an ownership group that's built a new stadium, um, or has significantly renovated the stadium. And we know that uh, the Jays are making a significant investment in the Rogers Center. And it would make sense that at some point, Major League Baseball hold an all-star game here. And it would be cool if they could do it at a time when Vladdy is still with the Blue Jays yeah, and representing, representing the Blue Jays in the all-star that game. That would help. Um, takeaways from uh, Mark's comments. I mean, it, it's it's interesting. You get a... Um, I, I like the way Mark described it as a strange season. With, you know, Buck, Buck, yeah. And Buck's talked about this. You look at the offensive numbers. There's a lot of stuff that doesn't add up right now. You look at this team and you go, yeah, they should be farther ahead mm-hmm. than they are right now. Uh, and yeah, strange is probably, that's, I, that's the right way well, to I put it. I think there's something to that trying too hard. I, and I don't, I, I, that's why I asked him to that last question there. I, is there some analytic thing that you can, I don't know, I, I may be overthinking that because there is trying too hard when it comes to expanding. Is it just experience? It's being there and done it before 
numerous try- times, yeah. that will keep you from trying too hard. And I just don't know if there's a right answer to it. And, and for me, that's you see too much of it. See, well, there, there's different. Last year, there were, look, last year it was Bo that said we want to carry trophies across the field. There were expectations in this team last No question. Year, but not, there was more margin for error, I guess, with expectations last year than this year. It was, if you had told people to start a last year, the Jays would miss the playoffs by one game. You go, boy, that would be tough, but he could see that happening. Mm-hmm. If you had said at the start of this year, the Jays would miss the playoffs by one game. No way would any, you, I mean, there. People get fired. People would get fired yeah, if you said that. So I think that is where the weight of expectations come. And, and, and Mark did make an interesting point. It, it's, we do forget that, in terms of baseball age, not just chronological age, but there are guys like Bo and guys like Vladdy, and to a certain degree, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., they're going through stuff for the first time. They're going through, and, and this is not making excuses. I'm just telling you it's a fact. They're going through lots of games in front of big crowds with the expectation to win. Uh, last year, they weren't going to get booed. No one was going to boo anybody in the Blue Jays last mm-hmm. year because everybody was just happy to have the boys back in town. Sure. And we're finally getting out of this COVID nonsense and we're going to go to a baseball game. And boy, this is great. And, and it makes you feel good about everything mm-hmm. that these guys are back here. No one last year. There was nothing they could have done last year that would have got them booed. Nothing. Mm-hmm. This year, it's different because there's expectations. And... There's a lot of pressure on two guys, the dude playing short and the dude playing first. There's no pressure on George Springer. I mean, he's already been paid. Like, there's no pressure on him. There might be pressure on Teoscar, but the two big main pressures are on the guy standing at first and the guy standing at short. And when they don't perform at the level that everybody thinks they should, what exactly is it? That That's the – and how do you get the fullest out of those two guys down the stretch – to, yeah. to get – because, they you know, they've been trying. They've moved Bo all over the lineup. They're trying to get him comfortable and, you know, sort of forgotten. People desperately so – yeah. I think part of the, the feeling, too, I think part of the, the criticism, people desperately want these two young players to have success in Toronto. They desperately want that. They do not want a Matthews-Marner situation where the team is getting – you know, losing in the first round of the playoffs. They want – they want these young players, guys they've heard about for a long time. They want them to have success. There's a real yearning to see this team have success because this is, this is different than 2015 and 2016. These guys aren't going anywhere, right? The 2015, 2016 Jays, they had a bunch of guys that were on their last legs. Let's mm-hmm. face it. And there were a bunch of guys that were, you know, wrapping it up and gum and Binder twine and tape and going on playing. They had a bunch of guys who were near the end of their career. Sure. It's different this time. And fans recognize that. Mm-hmm. Fans see that this is a team you can grow with. And that's great. And that's fun. And it's nice buying a jersey knowing that the dude's going to be around for four or five years. But there's also a flip side of that. And the flip side is this desire to see these guys do well. And sometimes that manifests itself with fans booing the moment you know it, it's and and that's yeah, something that kind of the fans and the jays players are are, are gonna have to get 
We're going to have to get used to this is this is this is a different Jays team than other successful Jays teams. It really is. What was your takeaway with John? The the answer that he get he gave with John and then I I understand the the Ross Atkins and it's his up to him on whether Yeah, I don't know. What what, what do you take from that? Ross Atkins has now he inherited John Gibbons. But he fired John Gibbons. He hired and fired Charlie Montoya. His name John Schneider, interim manager. Uh, I would need to know. And I'm not doubting Mark, but I would need to know if Mark played any role in those other decisions before I could really, mm-hmm. you know, like, I, I'm sure at some point, I'm sure Ross must, must tell Mark, look, this is what I'm thinking of doing. But I would need to know if there was any input in those other decisions, I do think it's like anything. I don't think Ross wakes up in the morning and says, screw it. I'm going to fire a manager. I don't think anybody does that anymore. I don't think anybody does that anymore. I think you do. You collect information. You, 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 you know, you have people you trust in the organization that can be players as well. You find out what's going on in the clubhouse. You look at how the team is being played. This organization is very big on culture. Can, can a, can, can John Schneider not just manage a team, but can he, create or massage the already existing culture into something that is successful. Those are the, the, the processes I think that go into this. I, I, I don't know. I know there's a thought, a school of thought out there. If the Jays don't make the playoffs, John Schneider isn't back next year. I don't know. Managers. I'm not sure. Ma- it, it's a different, it's a different thing. Now managers are hired and fired for different reasons. Mm-hmm. And there really are. And yeah, look at Tori Lovello's getting extended. Because the Diamondbacks like the direction. I, the sure. only direction I see the Diamondbacks going is they suck less. <laughs> but it's 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 a different thought process around judging managers now, and and good. You know, I I think we've it stands to reason if we've got all these analytics on, and and we're willing if we're willing to allow more people to have intellectual input into how the game is being played or how our lineups are being set, then we should allow more intellectual input into making a decision on the manager. That's, maybe, that's maybe. the way I would look at it. Now, if you're asking, if you're asking me, I got to see this. This is me talking. I got to see this team make the playoffs. If the team makes the playoffs, then I have my answer. If the team doesn't make the playoffs, then I got to take a step back. That that's just me. I'm not saying that's what the Jays are doing. If the team doesn't make the playoffs, I think I got to take a step back because this isn't about development now. This is about getting to the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And you know, John took over at a soft part of the schedule. Um, we can argue about what the Jays did or didn't do at the trade deadline. It probably wasn't as sexy as we wanted it to be, but the bullpen's been better since since Anthony Bass is here. Yep. There's there's a lot that goes there's a lot that goes into it. There really is. But I keep getting back to if John Schneider isn't back, then Ross Atkins would be bringing in his fourth manager. Yeah, we'll see. I think it's about winning. I I think changes will be made if they don't win as many games as Mark thinks they should. I I, I mean, he sounded like it was still all systems are a go, and it's about making a decent, if not really deep, run into the playoffs. Yeah. And, and so, it should be. 
You know, one thing I do like about Mark is Mark is not afraid. One of the several things I like about Mark is uh, Mark's not afraid to set expectations. No. No. He isn't afraid to set expectations, which I like. Yeah, I like that in the, the head of my organization. This is, you know, and be bold about it. Mm-hmm. This is what we expect. Don't just say, yeah, we're kind of going to be okay. No, this is what we expect. And I think it sends the right message. Uh, Anthony Bass is one of the newest members of the Toronto Blue Jays. He certainly had an impact on the bullpen since joining them at the trade deadline. Things really seem to have settled down with the bullpen. You're seeing it in the success of Jordan Romano. But just in general, you're getting a sense that Anthony Bass's acquisition has given John Schneider, Pete Walker, and Matt Bushman kind of that that one, that piece they needed to make all the other stuff fit together, to make the Adam Simbers and the Jimmy Garcias fit together. Anthony Bass joins us next. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, the fans, Sportsnet 360, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. The smartest takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis and Stephen Brunt. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Seven oh seven is the first pitch tonight as the Jays wrap up their three-game series with the Cubs at the Rogers Center. Mitch White will be on the mound for the Jays against to be determined. I'm sure to be determined will be a right-hander with a fastball and slider. Sure. The Jays will have tomorrow off, and then it's a mega, mega, mega road trip including a stop in uh, Baltimore to take on the Ooh. Orioles. What do we got? We got Pittsburgh, Texas, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, Texas. Am I vaguely? That's it. No, you're right. Cubbies, last game of Cubbies, three, Pittsburgh, four, Baltimore, three with Texas. And then you got Tampa, Baltimore, Philly, Tampa. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> so so you've got to get those four games against Baltimore, mm-hmm. um, obviously, with the uh, with the Orioles being where they are, three games back of the Jays in the wild card race, um, will be of great significance to this team. It was interesting hearing uh, Tabby and Buck talk last night about... Um, you mean Dan and Buck? Sorry, Dan and Buck talk last night about John Schneider and, and what he may or may not do with the rotation moving forward. I mean, clearly, you've got... Every, every game is significant. Every win is important. No question. But you've got a lot of head-to-head games. You've got head-to-head games against the team that's chasing you. You've got head-to-head games against the team you are trying to catch, which is Tampa Bay. You're, you're trying to get that first, mm-hmm. that first, uh, first wild-card spot. So I, I would think, Kevin, you would probably, this is no surprise, but both uh, Dan and Buck talked about this. You'd probably be trying to line up your pitching a little bit to take advantage of that situation. You would think the so. matchups you wanted. Well, you talk about the last three games this season against the Orioles, and you don't want those to matter. Talk about the, the, the last six. You got the Red Sox and the Orioles. Like, you could figure out ways to, you know, maneuver around your rotation and make sure your best guys are pitching against the teams that they're supposed to be pitching against. Do the little things, you'll win most games because you're more talented than those teams. Well, one of the things the Jays have been doing awfully well since the trade deadline is relief pitching. They Actually, the relief pitching numbers, that's not entirely correct. They, they, they were good before the trade mm-hmm. deadline. At the trade deadline, 
Um, the Jays acquired Anthony Bass and Zach Pop. And look, I think a lot of us, there was so much talk going into the trade deadline, not just with us, but with a lot of the national media that the Jays were going to look for more swing and miss stuff in the bullpen. And uh, clearly the Jays, you know, the Jays kicked a lot of tires, but they had a limit on where they were willing to go in terms of what they were willing to give up mm-hmm. to get that. But in getting Anthony Bass and Zach Pop, they, first of all, and Anthony Bass are getting a reliever they're well acquainted with because he was very good for the Blue Jays his last time through here. Mm-hmm. But he also profiled nicely and just, he just fit in nicely with what the Jays needed to do with their bullpen. And we're very pleased to be joined by uh, Anthony Bass. Anthony, thanks so much for joining Kevin and myself. Uh, we trust that you're, you're doing well. Um, when, when, when you're traded at the deadline to another team and, you know, especially given the way teams use bullpens right now and given all the thought that goes into, into bullpens, what's the first thing you want to do when you rejoin that new team or when you join that new team? Pardon me. Yeah. Yeah. Good morning guys. Um, when I, when I came back with, to the Blue Jays, um, my first thought was, to me, the role in the bullpen was irrelevant. Uh, I know the team is in the hunt for the playoffs. And anything I could do to help the team win, I told uh, Pete and, and Schneider that, that I really don't care if I'm pitching the 7th or the 8th or the ninth for that matter. As long as I'm putting up zeros, uh, I'm happy, and uh, in order to do that, my mindset always is to attack the hitter, you know, filling up the strike zone, and uh, that was my mindset coming over, being aggressive, uh, being ready to pitch whenever they need me, and uh, helping the team win. Anthony, why is your slider better? Um, I think it's a better pitch because it it has a lot of depth to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also, I can throw it um, hard harder when I want to, um, and I could also back off of it uh, to get a little bit more bigger of a break on the pitch. Um, I also think that I, I throw it consistently in the um, bottom third quadrant of the strike zone, especially glove side. Um, if you look at my my heat, I guess, heat zone maps of a pitch, um, very rarely do I miss over the plate with, with that with that offering. So I think that helps, too, the location of it. Uh, the depth profile, I get a lot of swings and misses over top of it. Um, and I'm able to throw it for a strike when I want to. Anthony, how are things How are things different around this team right now than when your first go-around with them, specifically in, in the bullpen? And I, and I guess I'll start with you know, Jordan Romano. Uh, seems to have de- developed and assumed the closer's role. Um, how have you seen this thing change since you were last year? Uh, definitely um, more confidence. Jordan, I mean, he's the same mindset when, when he's coming into the game. Um, he just gets locked in a little bit later. So when I played with him in 20, he would start pacing the bullpen mound with his glove right around the fifth inning. And now I think he does it around the seventh or the eighth. Um, so that's a little different. But uh, Jordan's still the same guy um, as far as his attack mentality. And uh, he's never going to stop competing on the mound, which I love. Um, and then you have some new guys, right? Uh, a lot of guys from the Marlins are on the, out there in the bullpen. So a lot of familiar faces for me. Uh, I got a chance to play with Yimmy Garcia and Adam Simber last season. And I think there's a lot of experience in this bullpen. Um, no one lets the moment get too big on them. 
uh, we all know what our strengths are, and we usually go to our strengths right away. So the bullpen's been great. Everyone's ready to pitch. Um, we're not we're not afraid of any big moments, which is huge, and I think that's uh, what what really has impressed me so far. Yeah, you with the velocities went up. Uh, Romano's velocities went up. Garcia's velocities went up. How is that possible in season? As much as you guys throw for your velocity to go up. That's a good question. I've I've seen that quite a bit. I think um, as the season progresses, your arm kind of opens up a little bit more. Uh, you get a little bit more layback uh, in your in your shoulder. And I think um, when that happens, I think you tap into a little bit more velocity. Um, I, I see it quite a bit, even in myself. There's always like points in the year where I'm throwing harder than other points, and and then there's also points where you kind of go through a little dead arm too. So. Uh, it's good to see uh, everyone maintaining their velocity this late in the year, and, and, and obviously it shows that we're taking good care of our, our bodies and uh, ready to make this uh, playoff run. How do you, Anthony, when, given the fact that, that that does happen to relievers and you're susceptible to that, how do you handle that mentally? You know, the fact that just if you don't feel good in one particular day, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's, you know, that there's anything, there's anything serious here. Or conversely, you feel really good one day. Life in the ball is great. Your velo is great. And, but you want to make sure that you're not expecting that all the time, right? Mm -hmm. Like, cause then you're going to get down if you, yep. the next day you go out and you're not hitting 96 or 97, you're hitting 94. Yeah. Um, when I, when I notice that, when the ball is not coming out the way I would like, I just know I have to locate better mm -hmm. uh, or trust my movement on my pitches a little bit better, you know, that late action. Um, so when I notice that, I just notice, all right, I can't, I can't miss this, this pitch over the heart of the plate. It's got to be inner third, outer third, upper third, or lower third of the, uh, the strike zone, which is kind of what I'm doing for the most part, but you can kind of get away with it when you're throwing 97 sometimes over the heart of the plate. Um, so I would just say just making sure that you're staying focused for myself uh, in, better, in better parts of the strike zone when, when I don't have my A stuff. Do you, do you have a different mindset against left-handed hitters? You throw a lot of sliders against lefties. You know, that bat path and that down and in. Is there a different mindset against left-handed hitters? Yeah, so my mindset with lefties is uh, I want to throw that depth gear uh, slider going down and in or even just down on the plate so mm -hmm. they can swing over top of that pitch. And then um, it tunnels really well off of my forcing fastball. Um, so I try to just pepper the top of the strike zone with my forcing fastball. And, and the slider usually just plays right off of it because it kind of has a little kind of hump to it initially. So it almost looks like a four-seamer coming out of my hands. And then it goes, you know, bites down on the plate. So I like pairing those two off of one another. Anthony, really good of you to join us today. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. Good luck. Thank you, guys. Yeah, be well. Stay healthy. That is Anthony Bass of uh, the Toronto Blue Jays. Interesting. It is. About the slider, you know, not to throw it so much, back footing it if you miss, you know, have big misses with it against lefties. It's, it's something and he's throwing that pitch. He's throwing it a ton against lefties hey, and righties. And, I, and the story, the good story about that, of course, is that and they've told, he's, 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 told it to, uh, to to the folks in sportsnet.ca and they've talked about it on TV as well as it was Theo Epstein of the uh, of the Chicago Cubs um, sorry the the LA Dodgers uh, who basically at one point just said to him um, Anthony why aren't you throwing your best pitch sure and he said what's my best pitch it was your slider why aren't you throwing it yeah I think it helps that he's throwing harder 
Like, like if again, if you're hitting off of him, it's easier to let that ball travel if it's 93, 94. But now that he's throwing, you know, 96, 97, and occasional 98, you got to respect that. You got to get it geared up. You're thinking more out in front of the plate, and you can't let that slaver, that slider travel as much, and that you know gives you a little bit of issue. So I. Look, he's a he's a better option. We talk about no brainers. You know, he, I guess you could throw the no brainer with him in there, especially against right handed hitters, and that just gives John Snyder's job and Pete Walker's job a little bit easier to get through big times of games. And I wonder, you know, I wonder if the bullpen thinks about schedules too. We talk about we've talked to different pitchers about do you look at the schedule, and some say yes. I, yeah, uh, who is it? Uh, somebody we had on earlier, I can't remember. Oh. Uh, Stripling said that he looks mm-hmm. at the schedule a lot and thinks about, you know, soft spots. I wonder if that's what a, a bullpen guy thinks of or he just, when he's called on, I'm giving you my best stuff. It's interesting. Yeah, it's uh, – I'm always interested in, in how in how guys kind of approach, relievers in particular, how they approach their job because it is it, – it just seems to be – I mean, they're all aware. Like uh, Relievers know that everybody says – one, they're failed starters. Two, mm-hmm. it's a highly fungible position. There's a bunch of guys out there. You can make anybody a reliever. And then three, they hear in September, my God, you know what the most important thing going into the World Series is? You've got to have your bullpens, right? Like, yeah. it's, it's, it's an odd existence. It's, it's, it's an odd existence if you're a reliever. It's everybody it thinks they can do it. Uh, and, and then when September rolls around, nobody wants to do it because it's, uh, it really is. Uh, a lot of teams ride or die with their bullpens in yep. September. And this, we, you know, we have to... We talked about how how the offensive numbers, some of the offensive numbers didn't equate with what we were seeing from the Blue Jays. The bullpen has been good for a while now. Mm-hmm. But, and it's not just us, right? It's a lot of people. They look at there's not enough swing and miss stuff. They're not missing enough mm-hmm. barrels. Out, but the bullpen's still been good. Yeah, but there's still not enough swing and miss stuff. Yeah, but the bullpen's still been good. So yes. maybe... And being comfortable, maybe this is just a matter of him being comfortable with Jordan Romano. We're now being comfortable with this bullpen. And and again, I get back to Anthony Bass and how that having him has just created that nice little sort of bubble in the bullpen. Now I don't need mm-hmm. to see Adam Simber five days in a row. Sure. Right now Jimmy Jim, Garcia has been great. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It helps a lot. It it really does. Sure does. And, and I and I part of me wonders if we're not seeing with that Anthony Bass. Something of what we may have seen with Clay Holmes last year when, when you know, New York picked him up in that deal with Pittsburgh. You know, who the hell's Clay Holmes? Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying that Anthony Bass is going to be good enough to go on and maybe go to the All-Star game as a closer. It would be a closer next year, but who knows? He does have that devastating pitch. He's healthy, takes the ball every day, and he's got some velo now. Yeah. As I said, helps. between him and Zach Pop, when I, I – Zach Pop is going to be one of the most intriguing stories to me coming into spring training. Sure. And you've talked to people in the organization. They think they got something there. Yeah. You know, he they, they he think- needs a secondary pitch. I think that's what he needs. If he's get, if he gets that, he, he throws hard enough to give you some stuff, I think. He, he can surely yeah. help. Yeah. Uh, it's that time of the show, Barker's Back Lake Bits, where we solicit uh, questions, thoughts, for Kevin Barker, you can uh, DM me, SN Jeff Blair is my Twitter handle, 590 is a text line. If you've got any thoughts, you can, uh, you can send that along. Mercifully today, there's not no question about the home run jacket. Nice. Uh, Nathan asks, with the Major League Baseball schedule next year having more interleague games, 
Will this benefit hitters or pitchers more? I would assume it would be pitchers since they don't have to face divisional teams as often. Thanks. I mean, this gets back to the whole thing Buck always talks about. We got a ton of video on these guys, on, on pitchers, but there really is something to be said for, for seeing them, for seeing them in person. I don't know how I feel about How do you feel about the, the schedule? You know, having fewer divisional games, more games now against other teams. I mean, it helps the teams in the American League East because it's the American League East, and it's, yeah. the, the, for me anyway, it's the toughest division in baseball. I'm not certain the Central Division teams are all that thrilled about it. Well, probably not. So you can look at it on, on both ends. I, I think with as you look at the Blue Jays, I think it's very hard for them just to go up and look fastball and swing at fastball. They have to have all this information and guess breaking ball, and so I think it'll be hard for those guys, but – does it benefit one side or the other? Yeah, I'm not real sure. We'll just have to wait and see. I think it'll be fun for fans. You know, if you want to see all the teams, at least you're going to get to do that. Yeah, I, I, I don't the know. Travel I, may be tougher, but. I don't know how I feel, but I mean, I think ultimately we're going to, this is, we had this conversation with Passon, right? I think ultimately where this is going is we are going to see um, a realignment at some point. Once the commissioner's office figures out what the hell's going on with Oakland and, and Tampa. And I do think we'll get a resolution to those two situations in the next couple of years because I really do think the rubber's about to meet the road when it comes to both those teams. Mm-hmm. And I think when that happens, we're going to see realignment and maybe you get expansion and maybe you end up with four divisions of eight teams. I just, I don't know. Do we still need a National American League, though? I like that. Yeah. I mean, it's easy for... The all-star game mm-hmm. and obviously, you know, for the World Series for setting up the playoffs. But are we moving to a point where maybe we need to ask the question, should we just throw out the National League and American League? You have and to have a good reason to throw it out. What's your reasoning? That, that's trying the first to, Trying to figure out a way to get the two best teams into the playoffs. Yeah. I don't know. Common playoff, play, I don't know. Just it's something I mm-hmm. something I've thought about. But uh, I mean, it seems now that the the two leagues, you know, I'm old enough. I can remember when the leagues had separate umpires, the leagues had separate division office, uh, league offices. They had league presidents. Uh, you know, and then of course the DH is gone now. I, I don't know what the differences are. Mm-hmm. Um, Monamu wants to know if we're concerned whether, and I knew this is coming, would Jordan Romano, be, could he be overused by October? Yeah, maybe. And then someone says next year, if you do end up trading him, could you get traded for two, <laughs> two good pitches? Yeah, you're not, I don't, I mean, I don't think you're going to trade Jordan Romano next year. That'd be uh, tough although, to sell you, to your fans. I mean, you do, get, you do get the point too. I mean, relievers are different animals, right? They are. Yeah, it's, you can tell whether or not a guy is wearing down. Yeah, the overuse I mean, I, yeah, I got to get there. It's mm-hmm. this, I think gets back to the trade deadline and how maybe, you know, if there's a criticism. You wanted that other guy who profiles as possibly a closer to maybe help out in the event that Jordan Romano is overused. But from what I've seen so far, I'm not, I'm, I'm pretty confident in the way. I mean, they seem to have figured it out so far with Jordan Romano. More to the point, they seem to me have figured something out with Jimmy Garcia, and I think that's where that's that's yeah, where the key is. I think and I, being safe, you know, he pitched August twenty fifth. He didn't pitch again until the 29th. Like they're they're trying to yep. work in, so they know you know certain situations if they have to by giving him a couple of two or three days off. Now they can go four outs if they have to, and 
that's how they're giving him a break. So they've been real good about backing him off and trying to get the best out of Jordan Romano that they can get. But for me, they got to use him to get to the playoffs. Plain and simple. You got to get there first and then worry about everything when you get in. Try Foley has asked the question, do you and Kevin believe that Bo, Vladdy, and Taylor's lack of success at the plate this year is contributed to by the absence of Dante Bichette? Um, That's hard to say. It, it's hard to say. It's I, hard to say. I, the, the whole, I haven't been able, and we know why when you know, Dante hasn't been around the team, he was he uh, re- resigned so he could work with Bo and, and some of the hitters during the lockout. I have never got the sense that either I don't know if Bo or his dad are all that. I, I'm, yeah, I can't. I, I don't know. I can't if that, speak to that. Here's what I'll say. It, 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 I don't know if that's. I I don't know if they're. I think they may be comfortable where it is right now. But I will say this: we've had people around the team tell us, and, and I'm not taking anything away from Dave Hudgens or Guillermo Martinez, but we have people around the team tell us that, you know, Dante was hands on last year, and a yeah. lot of guys talk to Dante, and a lot of guys like Dante's approach. This is what I think. I think Bo tries too hard. I think Vladdy, the league's made an adjustment. I think Teoscar's been hurt a lot. That's my three answers. And that's not going to change regardless of... Uh, I don't. I, I think he'll help, or he would have helped. But I'm not sure he was. he's turning seasons around, and I think you got to go through it first. I'm going to read this out. Keanu Caulfield, because I like ending the show in this. The Bo conversation's gotten out of hand. As Kevin has said, it's been a disappointing year, and he's still near the AL lead and hits. He's 24 as a top-level talent. I think there's something to be said for having a couple of your guys to root for as a fan, like Batista and Edwin before them, Vladdy, Bone, Menor are our guys, and I want to root for them Love it. for the next 10 years. Love it. Love that sentiment. That is it for us today. I want to thank the Jays for uh, making Mark Shapiro available to us. We'll be doing Blue Jays talk and Anthony Bass. We'll be doing Blue Jays talk immediately following tonight's game, and we'll be back tomorrow from 10 to noon Eastern on Sportsnet 590. The Fan 360, don't forget, if you're listening to us by podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe, and have yourself a great day.